This is the video that we show at our Discover Shades class for every person who's interested in joining our church. And it is uh, a five-minute video that covers 117 years of history on there. But it gives people a great idea as to sort of where we've been. And then you notice that today's title is Next Initiative. And so the question is, is where do we go now? I, I love this word, initiative. Initiative, the definition of initiative is the ability to judge what needs to be done and take action. The ability to judge what needs to be done and take action. It is an eagerness to do something. You've heard people say, take an initiative. Well, for us as a church, what is our next initiative? And I believe that there's an initiative in a church, but there's also initiatives in every Christ follower's life. Every person who makes a decision to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, there are divine initiatives that God has for you, and every initiative that you have is driven by two things. Number one, it is driven by Scripture. Everything that we go and do that God calls us to do is to be driven, first of all, by Scripture. You saw our children up here, and they were singing a song, Better Than Life, and they were singing from Psalm 63.3 that says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. They are saying that God's love is even better than life itself, and the reason is, is because God is the only one that can give us a true and purposeful life. In fact, Jesus said in John 10, 10, uh, he said that I have come and I've come that I may give you life and I may give you more abundant life. And in Romans 5, 8, the scripture says that God demonstrated his love for us. Again, it's God's love. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet people who were separated from God, Christ died for us. And so God in his love sent his son who through his love died on a cross to provide us salvation from our sins. And so everything that we do needs to be driven by scripture. Scripture from the God who loves us and the commands from Christ who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead three days later so that we can have eternal life. And so scripture drives these initiatives. But the second thing is a vision. There needs to be scripture and there needs to be a vision. And this is what drives your initiatives. And so what is vision? There are a lot of definitions, but I just wanted to kind of put three strings together for what a vision is. And a vision is need plus stirring of your heart plus direction. Need plus stirring of your heart plus direction. As an individual, you can have a clear vision as to what it is that God wants you to do, this initiative for you. And oftentimes, it will start with a need. It could be adoption and foster care. It could be homelessness. It could be clean water initiatives. It could be human trafficking. It could be a concern about marriage and the family. It could be seeing the difficulties that single parents have, and, and there's something that you want to do about that. Any need, you give me any need, and just throw it out on there, any need, Almost every one of us here would say, yes, I've seen that. Yes, I've seen that. I've seen the commercial. I've read an article about it. Yes. But when God gets involved in it, he will allow you to see that need and he will grab your heart. He may not grab everyone's heart, but he'll grab your heart to that particular need. And all of a sudden there's a stirring of the heart and you just can't get over it. And all of a sudden when God stirs your heart, he drives you back to his word and you see what you're supposed to do in his word. And as it stirs your heart, you then look for that next direction. And you say, what can I do to help meet this need? That's an initiative. And so for every Christ follower, there are initiatives that God gives us, but every church 
should have a God-given, God-sized vision. A vision that comes from God that is so big that we have to depend on him and then we move forward. And when we move forward in this vision, that vision will then determine the decisions that we make regarding our programming, regarding our ministries, regarding our staffing, and even regarding our facilities. It was in the year 2002 here at this church that we decided to take Acts 1-8 seriously, Scripture. Let's look at what Scripture says. And Acts 1-8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. So let's take this serious. This is God's command. This is what he told us to do. Let this be a divine initiative. And so for the past 16 years, we have taken this seriously. And we have done ministry in all 50 states. We have done ministry in 80 countries. We have seen 20,000 members go on over 750 short-term mission trips throughout the entire world. And we have close to 200 people who have stepped away from what they were doing to go vocationally into some type of missions work for two years or more. You see, there's an initiative that we have received. It's based on Scripture, and it is there in Acts 1.8. And so with this vision, when we began to move forward in this vision, there was a statement that came up that has stayed with me for all these years. And the statement is this, the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. Which what that means, folks, is we need to take care of our home base. Our home base, this is a part of our Jerusalem strategy for reaching people, and it is the equipping and sending center for preparing and releasing people to go into the world to be salt and light. So you can't be a light that shines far if you don't shine bright at home. And so you need to take care of, of the home base. And so we did this, and we did three different initiatives to take care of the home base. The first one was called Journey of Faith, and it was back in 2003. And in 2003, we had put together, excuse me, in 1999, we put together a master plan, and then we came back in 2002, revisited it, tweaked it, and said, this is where we're going, a whole campus master plan. And so in 2003, there's some changes that we made. First of all, we took a look at our worship center, our present worship center that we have. And when you take a look at our worship center, as beautiful as it is, people would ask me, how do you get in? Uh, there was kind of like a, a moat there. And, and so people were saying, how do you get into the church? So what we did was we decided to try to make it more accessible. So we came in and we put it the way it looks today to where you've got steps to where you can get into the church from different areas to make it more inviting. Well, a lot of our parking is behind the church. Well, this is what the back of the church looked like. And so at the back of the church, people weren't really certain, how do you get into the church if I park from the back of the church? So what we did was we made an entryway. And so we made an entryway, we put a, a playground out there to let people know this is how you get into the church and we'd love to have you come and be here. Right below me is 40,000 square feet. It was unfinished space. Originally, the thought was it'd be administrative and music space. But after we looked at it and prayed about it, we decided we need to put our children there. So we have 40,000 square feet of children's space right beneath us. We also went into our Dobbins building, which is a building towards that direction. Went up to the fifth and sixth floor and, and completely redid that. And that was a journey of faith. But then five years later, we came into something called Every Generation, and we decided that we wanted to fix, complete the entire master plan as much as we could. 
And so we took some of the, the big rocks and dealt with them. The first one was Miller's Chapel. And Miller's Chapel, many of you remember, raise your hand if you remember Miller's Chapel over there. All right. Uh, I was a Sunday school teacher in Miller's Chapel. How many of your lives were completely transformed by my Sunday school teaching? Yes, I see those hands out there. Yes. Well, Miller's Chapel has some incredible meaning uh, to us. And uh, it's where singles, kind of where I got my start teaching singles and how exciting it was, all things were going over there. But it was an older building, and we were looking for ways to create an entryway into our church. And so there was Miller's Chapel, which was connected to another building called the Shambliss Building, which is where offices were. And so what we did was we took that down, and we put what we know today as the North Entryway. And so uh, it was a pretty good trade. And so we've got a North Entryway, and we have that drive-through, which I was told is called a Porticochet. Don't you love that word? <laughs> Porticochet. I, I will be in a meeting and somebody will say Porticochet, and I'm sitting up right there. I said, I'm loving this word. It is a porticochet. And, and where people drive through, we can drop them off. And at the same time, we have more parking for senior adults and also for handicapped. So then we said, what we need to do is make it easier for people to access our worship center once they get into the building. Now, when you came into the side entrance and so one of the major entrance of our building, this is the corridor that would help you get to the, uh, get to the worship center. That's how we got to the worship center. You would walk down there, but, but that wasn't the end. You had to take a right, then take another left, go down another corridor similar to like that. And after you've gone a while, then you take a left and go down some steps. And once you go down some steps, then you come out somewhere down here on about this third floor. So what we decided is let's trade that for this. And we ended up to build a concourse that would be opened up to give people community space and, <clears throat> and allow people to be able to walk to the front of our our. our, uh, work, our campus and come all the way through and be able to come straight in to this worship center. And so we were trying to get more and more people to be here. Also, we did this, we uh, built, and also if I could just say, the fire department was really happy when we came up with this because that was kind of difficult. And they said, thank you for making this easier and it's a safer place to be. The next thing we did was we built a student building. So we built our student building down on the, on the southern end of our campus, and that is housing junior high, high school, and college students there. We also built the ball field and the pavilion that you see. And so all of these took place in every generation. And then we came to chapters that we just completed. And chapters was really just cleaning up some of the small things. And uh, we renovated this gears building over here. We went down to our, our, our Christian life, our community life center. And we went down there and we did renovations over there and to repurpose that and help that building even more. So we did all of these things and we also eliminated our debt. So if you wanted to summarize what we've done since 2002, it would be this. When it's all said and done, we have spent $26 million on our buildings. We have spent $26 million on our buildings. Our goal was not just to have a bright light at home, but a light that shined into the four corners of the world. So what we did is we continued to give to missions and continued to go. So we gave $34 million to missions during the same time that we invested $26 million into our campus. And then at the end of all of that, we were debt-free. And so this is where we stand today. And what happened is really, if I go back one year, is we adopted a new mission statement. And it was nine words, and it said, sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. Sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. That is our mission. And our direction is to send people into their spheres of influence. 
and tell them about who Jesus is. And we came up with a tagline called Live Sent. And that means that my life is to be Live Sent. That means when I go into my neighborhood, into my schools, into my office, wherever my spheres of influence are, God has sent me there to be able to share the good news of Jesus and to live out who Jesus is and what he's commanded us to do. And what we are seeing this past year and a half is we are seeing a focused, heartfelt community engagement through our church ministries, but more importantly, by individual members. Many of you in our congregation are embracing Live Sent. You send me the testimonies and you get into conversations with me. And it's just amazing to see what has happened. What is happening is that you are understanding that God has called each one of us to be Live Sent. We are ambassadors for Christ. We represent the King of Kings. Thus, we are to live a life that brings honor and glory to his name. We are to go into our spheres of influence, tell them the good news of Jesus Christ with our mouths, and we're to live out his servant leadership with our lives. That's our call. And we're seeing this happen more and more. We began to see the activities that we have. We had an Easter egg hunt uh, the day before, uh, day before Easter. We had 500 people come over here. 100 families had never darkened the door of our church. Down at the um, Christian Life Center, Community Life Center, I'll get it, <laughs> to our Community Life Center. Uh, Felicia gave me a number. There's about 460 kids or so down there that never have walked through our, our, our doors. So these are people that are coming here to our campus that, that we're doing ministry with that we want to try to bring them into, into ministries here and also share the gospel with them, hoping they'll make decisions for Christ. We have a special needs ministry that is expanding and growing constantly over and over. We have an early learning center where we have 17 nations involved in our early learning center. And when you heard the, the testimony there from Song and Grace, that was one of the things that drew her in was she came to the uh, early learning center. And they brought their children there. And they were blown away by the love and the acceptance that they received there. Chad Kossaboom is leading what they call a date night to where three times a year we offer this amazing date night for young couples to come up here, drop their kids off, and then go out on an amazing date. He says we average about 700 people. You had children plus families plus adults, about 700. And uh, <clears throat> out of that group, half of those are not even members of our church. And so every year, if you do three of these, it means you've got about 350, 353, for over 1,000 people that are coming that are not even members of our church. And we're adopting schools, we're working with public service employees, we're working with first responders, and the list just goes on and on. And so what is happening is we continue to do this in our Jerusalem, we will see more and more people coming to Shades on sort of a taste and see experiment. What is this church like? I've experienced this ministry or that ministry, but what's it like on a Sunday morning? What's it like to come and to worship there? And we need to be ready for them. We have built new buildings. We've renovated and repurposed every existing building on our campus except one. And that is our 29-year-old worship center that we sit in right here. And thus is our next initiative. Our next initiative. And whenever you look at an initiative like that, there's usually two types of needs. One is basic needs. It's a 29-year-old building. Anytime you have a 29-year-old building, there are things that need to be fixed. You understand that we have, we'll need to do new carpet. This is a miracle of God that it's been here 29 years. And I know it's in good shape, but if you can walk around, you'll see it's, it's really coming apart, okay? 
So we need to get new carpet and we'll need to get new pews. Take out all the old ones and we'll bring in, in new ones. And we need to get a new color scheme. And thank you so much for the recommendations you've given me. Uh, thank you for the orange and blue suggestions that you had. I thought that may have carried a little weight, but I really like the red and white with the hound's tooth on the pads on the, uh, on the pews, you know. I, I mean, it's, it's just amazing your love uh, and how you share these. But, but there'll be a new color scheme. Needs to happen. Need to update. But anytime you do any kind of renovation project, any of you have done this, you've got code issues. Is that not correct? So now we've got to get up to codes. That means we've got to get all the restrooms ADA uh, compliant. It also means that on the fourth and fifth floor, we have to come up with what's called a fire suppression system. Our language, sprinkler. We need to sprinkle uh, the building. You say, why didn't we do it in 89? Because it wasn't part of the code. We did everything we were supposed to in 89, but the codes have changed, and so when you touch something, you've got to fix something on there. We also have 30 HVAC units that cool, heat and cool the lobby and the fourth floor and the fifth floor, 30 of those, and they're 30 years old, and they need to be changed. Now, we changed the one here. We did chapters. We changed the unit that heats and cools the worship center. But we didn't touch those other 30. We wanted to get more life out of them. And also, we realized that there's no need to touch them until we did a complete renovation or repurpose on that. So there are basic needs to happen. And we just understand that. But then there's a second, and that's ministry needs. It's ministry needs. Uh, I asked Scott Garoski of MG&A, I said, how many square feet? Uh, represent this worship center and the lobby. He says 75,000 square feet. Okay, 75,000 square feet. So I asked the question, how can these 75,000 square feet be most effectively used to reach people with the gospel and to be a house of prayer and worship? How can these 75,000 square feet be most effectively used to reach people with the gospel and be a house of prayer and worship? Well, there's one scripture I want you to look at, and it's found in Psalm 78. Psalm 78. You can look on it and be up on the screen. In Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7 says this, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation may know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the work of God, but keep his commandment. This is our charge. Our charge is to reach the next generation and tell them about the Lord so they can set their hope in God. And so if that is our charge, how can our worship center help us to fulfill this purpose? In the 1980s and the 1990s, it was felt that the best way to reach people, especially baby boomers, and also older Generation X. It was to build large worship centers that would draw the masses. 
And so you'll see a proliferation of churches that did that. Shades Mountain did it, Cottage Hill in Mobile, First Baptist Church Orlando, and the list goes on and on of churches that use the same type of, uh, of design and architectural design on there. And at Shades, at that time, we were running three services. And the goal was to try to get everybody together in one service and see if we can bring them all together and have all the family worshiping together. And this was an effective strategy for a number of years, but we have seen and continue to see a change in culture. And as you look at some of the younger generation X and the next generation called the millennials, that's ages 18 to 34, you see a demographic that values larger spaces for community and more intimate spaces for worship. So there's not a great desire for millennials to come and worship in a cavernous worship center. But lest we limit this feeling to just millennials, this desire for community is spreading into our culture. And we're seeing people of all generations, they're not immediately attracted to our present model. You see, 30 years ago, Shades built a style of worship center that accommodated our culture. It was a home run. And today, knowing that we need to do needed renovations, it is the perfect time to repurpose our worship center and our lobby to best meet the needs of both today and the future. If we fail to do this, we do this at our own peril. The average age of a Southern Baptist member in the Southern Baptist Convention is 53. It's the average age. In our church, we're a little bit younger. We're 44. But if we do not make intentional steps to reach the next generation, we will see that age get higher and that gap will grow wider. We need to reach this young generation and these children who've been leading us in worship. This is Generation Z that was right before you. And what we need to do is to say we want to reach millennials, we want to reach them, at the same time reaching all those who are living and also looking to the future. So there are four goals that we have of repurposing this worship center. Let me just give you the four goals that I've got for repurposing this worship center. Number one is to improve sight lines, to improve sight lines. Every seat is not a good seat. Yeah, we love the place, but every seat's not a good seat. So what we want to do is we want to improve sight lines for everyone. Number two, expand community space, that's your lobby, and traffic flow. Expand the community space. Our, this new generation has such a desire to just sort of hang out and, and to build community with people. And so in order to do that, we need to take that lobby space, which is really uh, uh, an exaggerated hallway, and make it more of a community space area and to add, add size to it. And with doing that, it also will help our traffic flow of getting in and out of, of services and other events that we have here. It is interesting that I was, I was in a meeting about a week and a half ago with other uh, pastors of large churches and the pastor at the First Baptist Church of Plant City, Florida. Uh, he talked to me and he said, we just relocated our church. I said, really? He said, yes. And so you relocated your church. You're in a whole new area. You've built your worship center. You've got all these other buildings around you. I said, what is the best thing about it? He didn't hesitate. He said, the lobby. He said, we expanded our lobby and our people love it. That's in Florida. 
So you've got every generation there. And he said, they love it. I said, are you serious? So I asked him a second time. And he said, yes, the best thing that we ever did was to give that additional lobby space. Number three, update sound and video technology. I know you're shocked to think that technology needs to be updated. Um, I think I just did my iPhone last night. Uh, <laughs> there's always technology to be updated. We want to update sound and video technology. And number four is increased flexibility. Increased flexibility. What I mean by increased flexibility is right now, in the way we have been, we've always been in one service. So the question is, is, well, do you want to go to multiple services or do you do two services? The way we are built and constructed, and this is such a beautiful facility, but it's a large facility, you really can't do two services. Because we love it with this right now. This is a good crowd. There's a dynamic of worship, and we want to continue that dynamic. But if you cut this thing in half, uh, just because the way all is structured, it wasn't built for two services. This worship center was built for one service. So should you go to two services? I don't know. But our staff right now is researching this for us to look and to see strategically what is the best decision for us to do. And if we decide to go with the repurposing of the worship center, what it does is it gives you the flexibility to make that decision. And it, it, may, not be, it may not be me, it may be the guy that follows me. I'm not sure. But the key is, do you have the flexibility to make that decision? And so here's a statement that I want you to burn within your head and your heart and your hands, and is this. This proposal gives us the opportunity to go to two services, but it does not force us into two services. This proposal gives us the opportunity to go to two services, but does not force us into two services. And some people are saying, oh, you're just trying to shrink everything up, so we have to go to two services. We will lose about 10% of the seats. But the size is plenty large for us to have one service if we want to continue to do that. However, it gives us the flexibility, and that's really what we want. Not just for today, but for the future. And so whenever we begin to see where we're going ministry-wise, we have that flexibility, and that's one thing that it gives us. So real quick, so Danny, does anything go? Yeah, the organ, okay? Bulletproof screen, comes up right here. Nah. <laughs> the organ. Let's talk organ. This organ, it's been a wonderful machine. We've had it for 30 years. Uh, it, it will never play at 100% of its uh, effectiveness because some parts cannot be replaced that are messed up. Two to three times a year, a specialist would have to come here to tune the organ. It's a cost of about $6,500 a year just to tune the organ. The organ can get out of tune due to humidity and temperature changes, and so you have to be very careful about trying to keep that balanced in here at all times so that it will, um, it will be in tune. Uh, we rarely, really, don't use organ in the music that we do now. One person described the organ as this, he does not play well with others. And what it means by that is we have a massive sound of an organ. And when it plays, it doesn't just sort of blend in with everything. It just goes over. It's like a solo instrument. It was designed that way, okay? And so it doesn't really play well with others. And so... Um, we have discovered that there's not a demand for organs. Um, new churches that are being built aren't putting organs in there. We talked to Sanford University, and they've got a great music department. They have two organ majors 
and they got three organs on campus. So this is not something that, that's growing. We have shopped it around just to see if we could get any interest. As of yet, zero. Listen, we're willing to be an organ donor. We just don't have any takers. <laughs> so, so when you began to look at your design over here, uh, it would mean, should I try to build it around an organ and pipes and something that we don't use? So we're not. So we're going to remove that, and we would love if someone wants it. Tom Boston's in charge of that and is, is walking, will walk people through on that. But that's something that, that is going to have to go. But what stays? Well, the travertine walls over here, they stay. The um, stained glass that we've got over there, that will stay. The big question, are we pews or stadium seats? It's never been a question. It's always going to be pews. So we're going to take all of these pews out, and we'll have brand new pews that will be here in the worship center. And for you brides-to-be, center aisle. Center aisle, baby. So we got the center aisle, so a lot of great things. Also, many of you don't realize that there is a big um, stained glass uh, that covers this screen right here, and it's a baptismal, a picture of Jesus. And we're going to take that and try to repurpose that and find a place to use that here on our campus. So all these things that we are wanting to uh, be able to use. But you need to come back tonight, 6 o'clock. We'll go through all the details as much as we have, and we'll answer any questions that we have. The next initiative. Anytime there's initiative, you need to have scripture, you need to have a vision. Scripture, Psalm 78, it commands us to reach and teach this next generation and the ones that follow. There's a vision. The vision is a need plus a stirring of a heart plus direction. The need, we have a need. Both basic, we've got to do something, it's almost 30 years of old, and ministerial, we want to reach this next generation. And there is a stirring in my heart, and there's a stirring in the hearts of our other leaders. Because we have shared this with our staff, and they were 100% for it. We shared it with our deacons, they were 100% for it. We shared it with our finance committee, they were 100% for it. And so you can see a stirring in the hearts and stirring the hearts of others who've talked to me to say, we want to reach this generation and future generations. And we have a direction. What we've done in community engagement is amazing. And the live sent mentality is drawing people onto our campus and into our worship centers. And so we need to repurpose our worship center to provide the space for community and worship for future generations. That's it as a church. But I want to zero in on, on just as close, these last two minutes, and that is this. What about you personally? Is there a next initiative that the Lord wants you to embark upon? You know, one of the great things I love about worship services and I love about preaching is that you read God's Word and you hope that God gives you a Word and then you share it. And for sometimes when you're sitting out here in the, uh, in the worship center, something comes across that you never thought about before. Here may be some of you thinking, the next initiative, what is it that God's been dealing with me? Is there a need that comes across your path that stirs your heart? Do you find yourself reading more about something or talking more about it or Googling it continuously? Is there something that your heart breaks over? And as you read your Bible, do you continually see this addressed in Scripture or you feel challenged by God's Word to do something about it? It's this initiative. It's this next step of action. And maybe God has that for you. There's one of our members that's been sending me uh, emails updating uh, what, what they're doing as a couple. 
and they just believed that months ago that God wanted them to do an RV ministry. And they just couldn't figure it all out. And all of a sudden, God put some things into place to where now they're finding themselves at a national forest. And there are campground managers there at this national forest. And they are pouring into people's lives. This wasn't on their radar. It was a part of their heart. And they began to see a need. And when they saw that need, their hearts got stirred. And all of a sudden, God gave them a direction. And boom, that's the initiative. That's where they are. I don't know. I don't know what yours is. But I will leave you with this, and that's James 1.22. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so I want you to make that commitment, take that step forward for that next initiative that God has for you. Tonight, we'll talk about the initiative that we think God has for our church. But today, at this moment, I want you to be praying and asking God, what is that next initiative you have for my life? Stir within my heart what you want me to do. Show me the places where I am supposed to invest my life, where I'm supposed to be, live, sent. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, uh, that we started this thinking, talking about your love and how much you love us. And Lord, we know that through your love that you gave us your son and that you give us that opportunity to come into a right relationship with you. But Father, we also are are so encouraged by the fact you didn't just save us to keep us the way we are. You saved us to change us. And then as you change us, Lord, you direct us and guide us as to where we are to go. And so Father, I pray that today that you would speak into the hearts of the people here. Help them find what that next initiative is, what it is that you want for them to do. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.